In a little bit, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I've entitled today's message, Pray Then Like This. We are continuing the month of February with an emphasis on prayer and fasting. And I'm getting a lot of good testimonies and reports of folks during this time. And so I, I didn't intend to, but it sort of just worked out that I started, I began to speak on some topic of prayer each week. And, uh, and so I decided, I think, by the help of the Holy Spirit today to talk about what we would consider what we typically call the Lord's Prayer. Truth is, if you really wanted to be descriptive, John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer, with the way I would see it. Uh, you can call this prayer whatever you want. I have over the years called it the prayer of perspective. Um, but the title doesn't really matter. The content is what matters. Um, now, let me just say that this this passage or this prayer was never intended to be a rote prayer for us just to simply recite. Um, and you think I'm just talking about the Catholics. you got another thing coming. Uh, I grew up. Uh, in elementary school, in junior high, I think by the time we got to high school, they sort of cut it out. But we we recited this prayer every day. Now, that's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. I'd rather have it being done than not being done. But the fact is, what happens is, if you're not careful, it becomes rote. It becomes just ceremony. It just becomes something that you go through, and you don't pay any attention to even what you're saying. Our Father who art in heaven, you, know, you try to get through it as fast as you can just so you can say you did. And Jesus, as a matter of fact, we're going to read in a moment uh, uh, where he says that very, that very thing. What it is, it's a model to teach us how to approach the Father in prayer. It's a model that teaches us how to approach the throne of God. Uh, and then the third thing, and we can gain from this, is why I call it the prayer of perspective, is that it helps us gain a perspective of life or, or, or perspective of how to live in him. And uh, so there's just a lot here for us to, to gain from what the Lord said. Now, the slide is going to say Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Um, since I made the slide, I'm going to veto it. And I uh, tell you, we're going to start with verse 5. And if you would stand while we read the sacred scriptures uh, and listen from the, or read from the English Standard Version, I will read, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door or your inner room and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is what I was referring to earlier. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, thus our title. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. We also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can be seated. 
That last line is probably better translated, deliver us from the evil one. There's a lot here, and I hope we can get get it all done by 2 (laughs) o'clock. Nervous laughter. On another occasion, this is this is basically the twelve. But at another occasion, there's some more people there. But it was for the twelve. On another occasion, that Luke records in chapter uh, eleven, when the seventy are gathered, someone says to Jesus, "Teach us how to pray." And Jesus gives a thumbnail sketch or an abbreviated version of what he gives here to the disciples. The content basically says that we're, he's teaching them how to pray. He's not teaching us or them what to pray necessarily as far as just the words. He is teaching the content. Now, I'm going to go through it, and it's not going to take us as long as till 2 o'clock for sure, but I'm just going to go through it here and, and just hit some points as briefly as I can. Uh, and so here's how we're going to start with the first word, hour. Everybody say hour. You say, man, if you're going to do it that way, we're going to be here till the cows come home. Our, and I emphasize that because Jesus starts it with our Father, and we'll get to Father in a moment. Our means we're in this together. It means that we are a community. As a matter of fact, we live and we serve in community as God's people. And you know, you've heard me say many times that there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There is no, I'm just, I'm just going to do my own thing and and ignore everybody else, we live as God's people and we serve in community. And as a matter of fact, Ephesians 4, 25 says, we are members one of another. Let's read that together. We are members one of another. We're not independent. We're not, and we, we have to stand before the throne of God ourselves, but we walk, we live, and we serve as members of one another in community. The word hour also emphasizes the effectiveness of corporate prayer. Jesus didn't say your father or my father. He said our father. And there's the corporate prayer aspect of this, that when we join together, Jesus said, if you, if two or three agree, and you know, I know a lot of times we think we need two or three thousand, but you don't. You just need two or three to agree. And then you're agreeing with God. And when you agree with God, that's powerful. And it moves things. Um, in in Acts, when Peter was locked up in the prison and the angel came to get him, uh, someone said, uh, prayer fetched the angel and the angel fetched Peter. But anyway, he went to get Peter out of the prison. Peter goes to John Mark's mother's house, Mary, and knocks on the door. And they're inside praying for Peter to be released. And Rhoda comes to the door, and, and she says, Hey, uh, Peter's at the door. I said, No, he's not. We're praying for him to get out of prison. <laughs> he must, you must be seeing his ghost. And, they, and they went, she went back, and he said, No, it's me. But you see, the, the Scripture says many were gathered together praying. There's a value to understanding that when God's people, as Sean alluded to today, when God's people join together, by the way, I'm going to add one more step to your scenario. We're joining with the people in middle Tennessee and the state of Tennessee and people around the world. We also join with the heavenly host when we worship God. That's a side note. 
Uh, we gather together in power and in unity and we worship God and we pray. And there's an effectiveness. Then he says, our father, which is our father. And, you know, this is sometimes this prayer is referred to as the our father prayer. We're recognizing that he is God. Uh, the beginning of the Apostles' Creed begins with, I believe in God the Father. It's important that we understand and relate to God as our Father and understanding that he's our Father. Now, here's something that we don't think about, but when Jesus prayed our Father, this would have been new to the Jews of the day. This would have been something strange. They would have never referred to God as their Father in a personal way. They recognized God was Father, but they would not have they would not have related to Him in an intimate way. They would sing God as this big guy out there somewhere, and we don't want to get close to Him because He might strike us. And Jesus is saying He is our Father. He is your Father. He is. We can relate to Him intimately. The importance of beginning our approaching God's throne with our Father is that the focus is on Him and not on us. How many of you know that a lot of times our prayers begin this way? Lord, give me. Lord, I need. And we are called to petition God. But how about if we start the way Jesus started? Approaching the Father. Prayer that begins with focus on ourselves, it will soon be misguided prayer, and it will become what the King James Version says we will ask amiss, or we'll ask for the wrong motives. And so we begin this whole process with focusing on God the Father, our Father. Now, a lot of people didn't have a good earthly father. Thank God I did. Uh, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people never had one. And so they they can't, they have a hard time relating to God the Father. But I want to tell you, like the song we sing sometimes, he's a good, good father. He's not like the earthly fathers. Even the best of our earthly fathers failed. And God never fails. So he says, our father, and then he identifies where he is. He's in heaven. Who is in heaven? Our father who is in heaven. Why is that important? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But look at this verse Psalm 14, 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the human race. Aren't you glad that's all that verse is in there? God looks down from heaven on the human race. He sits in heaven, which is the seat of all power in the universe and in the earth. All the power, all the authority that emanates into the universe and into our earth and into our world. All of that uh, comes from the throne of God in Heaven, in heaven. First King says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the whole heavenly host was standing by him at his right hand and at his left hand. Saints, that's a sign of power. That's a sign of authority. Godly, good power, not crushing power. Psalm says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Everybody say all. You know, you've heard me say, I looked that up in the Greek, and it means all. There's no, it just means all. His kingdom rules over all. You say, well, I don't see that always. Well, you don't see what God sees. I don't see what God sees. I pray, 
And I let God take care of what God does. And I do what I do. And I don't try to get into his department because he doesn't want to get into mine. He wants me to pray. The heaven, the heavenly throne and the kingdom of heaven is the center of all that is good. If it's good, remember we read last week the verse that says everything that's good, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything that's good comes from heaven and comes from the throne of God. I want to tell you that heaven isn't just a place to go to. Now, thank God uh, we're going to heaven, but it's a place to draw from. And Bob Mumford said that, you know, if you're a Christian and you die, you don't have anywhere else to go. you got to go to heaven. You don't have any choice. So I don't want to, well, you're tough. You're going. We're all going. But it's not just a place for us to go to, but it's a place for us to draw from. Going back to last week's message about praying down from above. I'm not going to repeat that. It's on the podcast. Heaven. A place to draw from. If, uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, be not rash with your mouth. Well, now, we could stop right there for some of us. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know, if we pasted that scripture on our bathroom mirrors, we'd stay out of a lot of trouble. We'd stay out of a lot of trouble because most of us, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Anyway, our mouths run too much. We're, and we're like Peter. When Peter got into God's presence, he thought he had to start talking incessantly. And God said that God the Father broke in and said, Won't you just be quiet and listen to what he's got to say? He's my son. Just be quiet and listen. And we could do more of that. But the point of that verse is that God is in heaven. Everybody say that. God is in heaven. And we're on the earth. And I think this is why Jesus points out that he's in heaven and we're on the earth. And then he sticks in this one little phrase that almost doesn't seem like it belongs, but he says, hallowed be your name. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is just simply a word for holy. Holy is your name. Hallowed is a thing or a person that's separated from the earth and earthly deployments. God's name is not earthly. God's name is not carnal. God's name is supernatural. And when we hear his name, we hear that. Albert Barnes said that what he's saying is, let thy name, tells you how long ago Albert Barnes lived, let thy name be celebrated, venerated, or to treat with reverence and esteemed as holy everywhere and receive from all people proper honor. We need to give honor and worship to the name of our God, to the name of Jesus, to the name of the Father, his name as the song says, is wonderful. Or may your name not become dishonored by your people. And you say, well, yeah, I know people that use his name in vain. I know people that swear. Well, that's, that's not good, but that's not what I'm talking about. How many times do we dishonor God's name by our actions or inactions? When I'm out here in the public in Mount Juliet or anywhere close by, I'm always aware, all, most of the time, but I'm always aware that I represent Abundant Life Church in the community. And so if I was going to beat somebody up, I don't. 
<laughs> if I was going to get irate, I don't most of the time. As, as, as uh, Rafe Hollister said on the Andy Griffith Show, not so as you can notice. <laughs> and we take the same approach that when we are walking the face of the terrestrial ball called the earth, we should take the same approach that we, every minute of every day, we represent the name of God in the earth. And let's not do anything to dishonor his name. His name is who he is. Thayer's Greek definition says this means everything, the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, remembering the name. Every, when you hear God's name, all kinds of things come up in your mind. It's giving a proper reverence to his name. That's being hallowed. And you're taking notes, you're going to love this verse, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runs into it and is safe. Great place to run. Our Father who art in heaven, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I think this is this is the, the pivot point of this prayer. Your kingdom come. This is the primary mission of Jesus. is to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. The kingdom of heaven to the earth. He says, your kingdom come. And we'll get to that in a minute. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. We know that it's his primary mission because when we fast forward, uh, as James has done this morning, to 1 Corinthians 15... And we see this, this little phrase. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Jesus' primary mission is to establish his kingdom on the earth. He's the head. We're the body. We, the church, serve the kingdom and establish the kingdom in the earth. And at the culmination of the age, Jesus will present this kingdom to God the Father. He's got a mission. And as I referred to earlier, it's not just to get us to heaven, but it's to bring heaven to us and through us into the earth. We are not designed just to go to heaven. Thank God we go. But we're not designed just to go to heaven, but we're designed to be the vehicles by which heaven can come to the earth. And remembering that the content of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Are we communicating to those around us, righteousness, peace, and joy. He said the kingdom coming is his will being done by his people. William Law said it this way, Prayer is a mighty instrument not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. And that's why we're still here. That's why you're still breathing. That's why we still have air in our lungs. That's why our heart is still beating because God has designed it that we would be vehicles by which his will gets done on earth. And when we pray this way, when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we're being constantly reminded of Christ's mission in the earth. We're also being reminded of our role as his ambassadors on the earth. Again, he's the head sitting at the right hand of the Father, we're the body of Christ on the earth. We're doing his bidding and we're, we're perpetuating his mission and we're extending the kingdom of God into the earth one person at a time. We pray for Christ's kingdom and all its qualities to come to the earth. We pray for the righteousness that's in heaven to come to the earth. We pray for the peace 
that's in heaven to come to the earth. We pray for the joy that's in heaven to come to the earth. And when we do that, we see that God's government, God's good government, will preside over whatever we pray. We see that darkness gives way to light. Peace replaces confusion and anxiety. Corruption is replaced by righteousness. And godly and and, uh, pious leaders are raised up. And even societal changes take place when we pray God's kingdom into the earth. Because it's his governing. Prayer is the currency of God's kingdom. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray. And he says, give us this day. And I want to point out to you that we have part of this prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is. This is all taking place before we have made the first request. Not one request has been made on our behalf up until now. Then he says, give us this day. Or give us, Luke says, give us each day the provision, the daily bread that we need. God is the source of our daily provision. He's our great provider. Sometimes we think our employer is. Sometimes we think that paycheck that we get or gets deposited in our account, we think that that's our provider. It is the avenue which God blesses, but God is our great provider. He is the source. And let me just tell you that physical concerns and physical provision is a kingdom concern. I'll leave that alone. One of the principles that's communicated in this give us each day, give us this day what we need, is there is there is no manna for tomorrow. When the children of Israel were receiving manna from heaven, they went out today and they and they gathered manna, but there was none there for tomorrow. There was just enough for today. And I want to tell you that when you get up each morning, uh, Lamentations teaches us that his mercies are new. Everybody say new. I just want to make sure you're still awake. Are new every morning. I do not have mercies today. For tomorrow. I do not have grace today for tomorrow. Now, when tomorrow gets, you know, it's like the, you know, some of you, I had a friend of mine that was manager of Joe's Crab Shack up in Rivergate, and they had a sign on their wall that said, free crabs tomorrow. <laughs> and, and they would have people come in there and get mad when they said, where's my free crabs? He said, we're having them tomorrow. And then they would realize, wait, wait a minute, how can I get here tomorrow? Well, you can come tomorrow. Well, then the free crabs will be tomorrow. <laughs> God's grace is the same way. I don't have God's grace for tomorrow, but I sure have it for today. Give us this day. Give us each day. And you've heard this before. It's not original with me. But yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is just a promissory note. Today is the only legal tender you can spend today and when we pray give us give us this day our daily bread and we trust god that when tomorrow does get here we'll have free crabs that was a joke you probably don't like crabs anyway that's another subject my wife made me crawfish etouffee for valentine's day now that's good we find rest there's a place of rest when you can trust god 
You're not wringing your hands, worrying about what's coming next. You can trust God. You might not can trust earthly people as much as, I mean, thank God God has trustworthy people, but you can trust no one like you can trust God the Father. Corey Ten Boom, I referred to her a couple of weeks ago. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. I'm asking you today, where are you looking? Are you looking at yourself? Are you looking at are you looking at the world for your source? Are you looking at your inwardly? It doesn't work that way. And then he said, "Forgive us our debts." I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Two weeks ago, I talked about forgiveness. Again, that message is on the podcast and CD. Forgive us our debts, which really means forgive us that which is owed. Forgive us, Lord God, what we owe you. Now, again, this is a model prayer because Jesus had nothing to ask forgiveness for. But he's teaching his disciples, forgive us what is owed. And we, as God's people, we draw on the atonement of Jesus Christ to make restitution for our errancy, for our sin. We can't make restitution for ourselves. We can't do enough good things to make restitution for our sin. It can only come when we receive and accept what Christ did for us on the cross and in resurrection, that's the only way we can we can say to God, forgive us what we owe you in the way of sin and debts. Our debt has been paid by Jesus Christ. It's up to us whether or not we receive that. We can rest in the fact that our account with God was settled. There's an old song that says there was a time on earth when in the book of heaven, an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top. Well, we were fighting, by the way, all of us, for our names to be at the top. And many things below, I went unto the keeper and settled long ago. And then the chorus says, long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago. And the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago, we can say, forgive us our debts because he has done what is necessary and he has paid the price for your debt and my debt. And the old account was settled long ago. And I'll just say this. I'm not going to expound on it because I spent a lot of time on it two weeks ago. Forgiveness is related to our forgiving others. Related. He goes on to say, lead us not. Do not lead us into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation. The word there, lead, is really better translated bring into. Uh, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible reads, do not bring us into temptation. You know, you, you, you read that, do not lead us into temptation. You go, wait a minute, what kind of God is we serving that he would lead us? Well, no, that's not what it says. Do not bring us. We, we recognize that, that it's God who keeps us from inevitable destruction and disaster. He's the one who guides our footsteps. John Stott probably says it the best. Do, he says, do not allow us to be led into temptation that overwhelms and defeats us, but rescue us from the evil one. The word there, uh, lead us not into temptation, is, is, uh, is more, it really should be translated a test. Instead of a temptation, um, Daryl Johnson, a pastor—I forget where he's pastor. Anyway, our father, 
we cannot stand up under very much pressure. We are not wise enough to recognize and encounter the work of the evil one. When you lead us to the test, when life itself brings us to the test, do not let the test become a temptation, but rescue us. Rescue us from the subtle strategies of the evil one and help us trust you. This is what Jesus is praying and that we should pray is when we are going through life that that we would pass the test. We would not be led to a place that we would fail because Jesus prayed in what I call the Lord's Prayer, John 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Don't take them out of the world, Lord, but keep, protect them from the evil one which, of course, is our enemy. And then, you know, there's some debate in manuscripts in the next phrase that says yours is the kingdom or thine is the kingdom. There's some debate about which manuscripts this appears in and which manuscripts it does not appear in. We know that it goes back to the early days uh, in the, in, as far as a doxology for when the Jews would recite this. It's certainly biblical, and it certainly fits the context of Scripture. So a lot of Bible versions leave it in. Thine or yours is the kingdom, and I believe it's because Jesus revisits whose kingdom it is. He revisits whose power it is, and he revisits whose glory it is. It's his kingdom. It's his power. It's his glory. And whenever we approach God's throne, we should always understand that principle that his heavenly kingdom is operating on the earth in the lives of his subjects. We should never lose sight of that. Everything we do and everything we say, everywhere we go, should be, should be done in the context of our being God's people in the earth. So we have, uh, come on, worship team. We're going to finish up here. This, when we follow what Jesus gives us, in this prayer, in this model prayer, when we follow it, it gives us proper perspective, first of all, on the fatherhood and the supremacy of the Father. If you can't get anything else, relate to God as your Father. It gives us proper perspective on the ultimate mission of Christ. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. You know, you heard me say a couple of weeks ago, I think, I have heard years ago growing up, I would hear people say, well, just get Jesus, come get me out of here. The devil can have the earth. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the earth belongs to God. And the Bible says God's will is that his kingdom and his will would be done on the earth like it is in heaven. Now, all of this will culminate one day, but until then, that's where we are on the earth. The other thing we have perspective on is our place and our role in this scheme. In this grand scheme of God the Father, we play a role. We play a part. And then, finally, the ongoing supply of sustenance and restoration that comes down from the Father of lights. When Jesus gave this instruction to the disciples, and then when he repeated most of it in Luke 11, He's saying to us, connect to the Father. Connect to the Father. When you come to God's into God's presence, come to Him. 
Don't just come with your with your stuff, your table. Hey, Lord, I need this right here. I need it now. Come, let's say our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. And then start talking about what we need. It says if you want to come into God's presence, you come with, with gratitude. One of the best prayers, ways to start a prayer is thank you, Lord. This morning I'm riding down the road. I said, thank you, Lord, for the rain. You know why I thank the Lord for the rain? Because I said, Lord, we need the rain. And then I said, Lord, I, you know how I know we need the rain? You gave us rain. We must need the rain. Be, be grateful. Be grateful. And then you find yourself in a place that you can communicate with God. I don't, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in this prayer. I don't know where you are in your life. But I've asked the worship team to sing that last song again. And then I want you to respond to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. If your heart's beating faster than it was, then that means God's trying to do something in you. Or anyway, I, don't, I shouldn't make a joke during this time. You respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And if you need to, if you need to begin your walk with Jesus Christ, today's a great day to do that. If you, if you have, have begun your walk with Jesus Christ, and as James talked about earlier, that you like Peter, you fall away and you come back and fall away and come back. Uh, this is the best time to come back in the presence of God. Whatever it, whatever it is, you do that. Let's stand and sing with the worship team this song again. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus fled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands.